13 years ago, uh, Bruce Wilkinson, one of my favorite Bible teachers, he published a very short book about a very short prayer in 1 Chronicles 4.10 called The Prayer of Jabez. For the next two years, it became the fastest-selling Christian book of all time at that, at that time. Sold 10 million copies in two years. Uh, As we continue our study through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, I want to introduce us to a similar prayer. I would love, love to take this prayer, write a little short book, and sell 10 million copies in two years. I promise I would tithe, you know, off the royalties. I promise. Unfortunately, when we read it, you will understand why my book would never be published, why it would never make it past the acquisitions editor. It is a difficult prayer to pray. But I have to, believe, I have to believe that it's not here simply to be read or admired. What Michael, Bill, and I have said as we've been in the wisdom literature is, you know, wisdom, biblical wisdom, is not intellectual. It's, it, you don't have wisdom just because you know something. Biblical wisdom is lived wisdom. It's experienced, it's a part, it's who you are, and you, you, you live it and express it. And so when we read this, what I'm calling wisdom's prayer, I want you to know it's, it's not there just to memorize. It's there to be believed and prayed. When we do, like all biblical prayers, I'm going to tell you something, it's not so much that you, you, know, you ask and you get, and that's what prayer is all about. No, it's that when we pray... We're changed. When we, when we pray this way, we're transformed into Christ-likeness. And I will say this, and you'll see this in this particular prayer, uh, we do get way more than we could imagine. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, we're going to look at the first nine verses. The prayer that I'm referring to is only verses 7, 8, and 9, but... We're going to take the front end of this because what he says before he prays not only helps us understand his prayer, if I can say this, it gives us a reason to pray that prayer as well. Why don't we do this? Let's stand together, and I'd love to read it in its entirety, then we'll take it piece by piece, but we'll stand in honor of God's word. Let me say that if, you, if you're thinking outline in your brain or on your, you know, on your, your program there, there is, it breaks out in four, four parts is the way I'm going to do this. That one through three is the lack of wisdom, lack of wisdom. Then you come to uh, verse four, it's the source of wisdom. Lack of wisdom, source of wisdom, verses five and six are the word of wisdom. So lack of wisdom, source of wisdom, word of wisdom, 79, prayer of wisdom. See, that's how we're going to walk through this. God's word to you and to me this day, Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle, the burden that he gives. The man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukal, Surely I am more stupid than any man. And I do not have the understanding of a man, neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God is tested. 
He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Father, we ask your blessing on this reading of your word and this study. We do know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And we know apart from your spirit who lives in us, we won't understand this. Nor will we apply it. We can't. And so we trust him to open our eyes, to reveal your truth, to convict, to change, challenge, and empower us to believe and trust. Amen. You can be seated. I'll move through the first part quickly, the lack of wisdom, and we'll get to the prayer. The first three verses leave us scratching our heads a little, don't they? Because we're here, to, we're here for wisdom. Agar, we're reading your words for wisdom. And the first words out of his mouth, first three verses are, I am stupid. <laughs> I am not smarter than any man. I have no knowledge of God. And we want to say, well, then why are you, you know, well, then let's read somebody else, right? Uh, what, what's he doing? He's speaking in hi, hi, hyperbolic in, in a sense. He's, you know, making an exaggeration, but he's saying something very important about wisdom. It's not hard to grasp. He's telling us, you see, in this first part, lack of wisdom, man on his own has no wisdom. I'll say that man on his own cannot attain wisdom. I have no not. See, so man, let's just summarize this first part. It's just lack of wisdom is this. Man on his own is incapable of wisdom. That's what he's saying here. Well, if he's incapable of wisdom, we ask who can have it and where does it come from? Man on his own incapable. He moves to the next Statement, who has ascended into heaven and descended? Verse 4 is all about the source of wisdom. Understand, when he asks that question and the other questions, he's not changed topics. Like he says, I'm so stupid. Hey, let's talk about the world for a minute. No, no, man on his own has no wisdom. What's the answer to the question? You know, the, these questions validate the first three verses in at least two ways. The first one is, when he asks the question, who's ascended into heaven and descended? What's the answer to the question? It's a, it's a rhetorical question that we, we know. It's not a trick question. Because if, 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 if we're going to know that, if we're going to know God, I don't have knowledge of the Holy One, you know, who, who's been to God and come and told us about it? And the answer is no one, no one. So man left to his own, unless God shows us something about him, we won't know anything. And then he asked three questions of creation, and we won't go into this, and it's, it would be fun to kind of take each one and go the wonder of what he says, the gathering of the water, you know, and the setting of the boundaries, and he's talking about creation, but what's the answer to those three questions? Who has done this? Who has done this? Who has done that? What's the answer? Not a, what's the answer? Who's done this? Who alone? Say it. God, yeah, so the answer is oh, God alone has done this, can do these things. Now, I want you to think for a moment, 
Bible study wise, we always ask when we're studying our Bibles, one of the things we look for is say, what's repeated? What, what, what does he say over and over again? So we don't want to miss that. He's emphasizing something. When you read verse 4, what is re- what's repeated almost, you kind of want to say almost too much. It's a personal pronoun, isn't it? Do you, you notice in this one verse, he says, who, 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 his, his, his. And it's like flashcard, flashcard, watch, look. And it tells us this. Wisdom at its essence is about a person. It's not about reading the books and knowledge. You see, it's, it's about who, 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 who. His, his, his. It's about a person. I'll go further. Wisdom at its essence is about a relationship with this person. And as we go through the proverb, you're going to see it's a relationship that's so real. You know, not a ma- I'm talking about a real tangible relationship such that you experience the character of this person. That's the heart of wisdom we dare not miss. Well, if man has no wisdom on his own and the the, the source of wisdom is, is God. Notice that he goes a step further in verses 5 and 6. Again, th- this is not happenstance that he goes from creation to every word of God is tested. See, he moved immediately to the word of God. And he's, he's saying this, the word of God, if, if God has all wisdom, he's revealed that wisdom of himself to you and I in his word. It's saying this, uh, in his word, God declares who he is, what he's like, what he requires. Men and women, we, we, we often take for granted and we need to move away from taking this for granted that in the Bible, in, in his revealed word, you understand the whole world asks questions like, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's it all, how's it all going to... See, that, those, are, those are questions for all of humanity. And God has revealed the answers to those questions in his word. God, who's over and above all, has chosen to make himself knowable. Uh, men and women, if, if, if God did not make himself knowable, we couldn't know him. But he's made himself knowable in his word. He says it's tested. It's, the, it's smelted. It's a refinery term. Uh, in, in, he's saying, you know, that God's word has been so refined and all the dross removed that it is utterly reliable and true and trustworthy and sufficient. Psalm 12 verse 6 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver is tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Those of you, you know, know the numerology type of thing, but seven is that number of completion, perfection, fullness. God's word, you know, he's saying it's, been, it's like silver refined seven times to perfection, no flaw, no dross, anything in his word. This summer, um, in fact, just this last May, um, scientists in Colorado Springs unveiled the world's most accurate clock. It's an atomic clock. Now, 
Please understand, I don't know this stuff until I read it. So, you know, they, they have these clocks that are unbelievable in their measurements. And if we didn't have them to put it on, you know, where I get it, you know, my, our, our Google Maps wouldn't work. You, you couldn't know where you are on the planet without these highly accurate clocks and measurements. This thing is so precise. This is something, again, this kind of makes my brain explode. But but with this clock, they can measure the diameter of the earth to within less than the width of an atom. You know, what's that about? I mean, how accurate do you have to be? You know, less than an atom. Oh, my gosh. This thing is so accurate that it, it, it only loses one second Every 31 billion years, you know, so it's like, okay, dang, I thought it was accurate. It's not very, you know, lose a second every 31 billion, right? Uh, One science writer uh, wrote this. She said, a clock that will only lose about one second every 31 billion years. Not bad. And yet we must also say, not reliable. And you're going, Lloyd, that's stupid. I mean, let me tell you something. It's not reliable. It's not perfect. But this, you understand that he's saying that his word, this will never be off by a nanosecond in 31 quadrillion years. That's how reliable and sufficient and trustworthy is his word to you and to me. And then we get this wonderful promise. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. Let's not miss this for our own good. You know, when we think about God's a shield, he's a refuge you know, the storms that blew through this week, you know, hit the, hit the stuff here. You know, if you're in a storm, you're outside, what would it mean for you to take refuge? I'm, I'm at, what would you do? If, hey, when you take what would you do? What does it mean, take refuge? Go, what? Find a basement, go in the shelter, you know, get under the tables, you know, everybody's coming, whatever. So find refuge. In its context, let's not miss that to take refuge in God is to... We know this is to trust his word. You know, we think it stands to stand on the promise. I think sometimes it's even to do more because it's so trustworthy. You guys remember that movie Twister? Uh, I I said it was a decade ago and someone last night said, no, it's 17 years because you guys Google everything we say. And so you get, (laughs) it's not right. I misquoted something last service and I got it this, you know, backstage. Hey, you said this and all, you know, I get all that. Uh, Twister, but you know, it, it, it is, it, Pax, Bill Paxson, Helen Hunt. You remember that scene? Twister's bearing down on them and they're in this little shack and there's this refinery pipe, you know, that goes like this and it goes down in the ground. I don't know, it goes a thousand feet into the ground to the oil, it goes all the way down. Twister's coming down and he grabs some belts or something. I don't remember his own belt or whatever, but he ties himself, he ties himself together. Then he ties himself all the way around that pipe because that pipe ain't moving. You know, it ain't going nowhere. 
And of course, the tornado literally hits this shack. And this is, this is movies because here's what we know. They'd have been ripped to shreds. You know, <laughs> they would have never lived. But it's all gone. But they lived. Why? Because they were connected to that which is not going to move. And this is the word. And I, I don't know. You might think of it. Sometimes you got to not just stand on the promise. I think sometimes we need to strap ourselves to it. Because I can't, just strap yourself to it. Because it's trustworthy. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. It's sufficient. It's reliable. Man on his own is devoid of wisdom. Man, he can't even get wisdom on his own. But, but, but all wisdom resides with God. And God has made himself known through his word. And now with that, he prays. What if I said to you, you know, kind of God's question to Solomon, you know, I'll give anything you want. What if I said to you, ask two things of God and you, you're going to get it. What two things would you ask? Hmm. Well, he asked two things of God. It's not what I would ask. <laughs> he prays two things I asked of you. Don't refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you. And say, who's the Lord? Or that I not be in want and profane the name of my God. Yikes. That's a hard prayer. Now, here's the thing. I can get the first part. Keep me from poverty. Amen. You know, keep, right, we all do that. keep me from riches. I'll tell you how hard this is for me. Just a, a window into my own soul. I'm always, you know, my struggle is my future. I'm worried about the future. I don't have enough money for the future. How are we going to make it in the future? You know, I just kind of want to, I want to secure my future financially. So I, I got to tell you this. You know, I'm sure you good folks never looked at this at all, but I'm going to tell you something. Six weeks ago, the largest Powerball lottery in the history of the Powerball was one. I think it was over $600 million. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I, you know, why wouldn't I, I, I would love to, you know, I thought about it. I've, I've thought about that, but I've also thought, dang, how do you hide once you win it? You know, you'd be trouble, you know, on that one. But, but that, I, I've, done, I've thought that. But let me tell you something that I've not just thought about, but I've done. You know, I don't, you know, um, I've never like given to the Children's Miracle Network or uh, St. Jude's or anything like that. But, you know, those of us who live in Williamson County know this. Every, I think you know this, you know, every year actually, if you'll give $100 to St. Jude's, you actually have an opportunity to win a house in West Haven. <laughs> and so, I've done that. Now, I got to tell you, I do care about St. Jude's, but let me tell you why I've done it, why I did it. Because I want to win the house. So if I win a house, I'll sell it and I'll give some money, but then I'll pay. I'll have my future. See, I've done that. That's how hard it is for me to pray this prayer. Don't give me riches. The first request, he says, keep deception and lies far from me. I I used to think this was a generic, help me not be a liar. And it it may be, I want to say this. It's certainly a great prayer to say, help me not lie. Keep deception from me, absolutely. But as I've studied this, I, I, I notice, I keep noticing that what he said just before this was, do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. 
And then the next phrase, he says, two things I ask of you, keep deception and lies far from you. I just wonder if this lying in this context isn't tied to what he had just said. You know, don't let me, you know, add to your words. If God's word is trustworthy and sufficient, what does it mean, don't add to his words? It means, <laughs> it means that doesn't need anything, least of which is my opinion. So it's, it's to, to add to his words to bring this and say, God, this is what I think you're like. God, here's, you know, in, in my opinion, this is how I think it should go. <laughs> you know, it's to bring it here versus letting his word inform me utterly and absolutely. And so I wonder if he's praying along these lines. I, I'm not positive on this, but I, I, I want to, I wonder if it's not this. Lord, keep me from bringing my view of you to what you have revealed yourself to be. Keep me from that. And so as difficult as this prayer may be, maybe the first part of the prayer is this, Lord, would, would you help me to really trust that this prayer is wise? Would you help me really believe there is no better prayer to pray? Help me trust that. He says, give me the food that's my portion. You know, I want you to know this is a, a figure of speech, a synecdoche, and it's the, the, the one represents the whole. The one represents the, the, the small represents the whole part of it. In other words, give me food. It's not give me a burger. Give me something to eat. It's give me my food. Give me that which I need to live. Not just, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Give me all that's required for me to live, to have life. Give me my portion. I want to say this as well. There's nothing wrong with wealth. You know, when you read these Proverbs, I'm going to tell you, go, go through the first part of the Proverbs, you'll find the Proverbs saying, if you live this way, you could, you'll be wealthy. You know, there's these statements in there. And so it's not that the wealth is wrong. Please understand that poverty is not like you've sinned, you're unrighteous, so you're poor. It's not that. It's not those extremes at all. He, he challenges us to live in between this tension and to understand the temptations that reside in each one. If I could kind of put it up here in your mind's eye on the stage, there is, in this prayer, there's poverty and then there's plenty. And he says, keep me from poverty... Uh, lest I be in want and steal and, and what? Profane the name of God. Now, it's, in other words, the name is his whole character. Uh, I'm, I'm going to phrase it this way. Lest I be in a place where I, I, I don't have what I need and I don't think you're going to provide it, so I go get it my own way. And then in doing so, I, I'll say it this way, I diminish your glory and if the Bible says anything, it says you and I are made to reflect his glory. And so to stand here and say, oh, you know, I know God, but he's not a provider. Ooh, that, that's diminishes glory. There's the other extreme that's the plenty. And I, I'd offer this to you. There is a plenty that is toxic. You know, our, you know we, just get, we just think more's better, more's better. More. No, 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 there's a fullness that's very dangerous. And in this place of plenty, it says you're going to, you know, tempted here. Uh, to, you're going to get to a place where you go, who's God? I have all I, 
I won the West, West Haven house, and so my retirement's taken care of. <laughs> right? Who's God? Um, and so in this place, I'm going to say it this way, we're tempted to deny our dependence. You see, if the Bible says anything, it says that you and I were made to live dependent on God. Now, you know, Americans, whatever you want to call it, we don't like that, really. And it's kind of like we like to be dependent sometimes, but then I kind of want my independent. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, wasn't that a declaration of independence when they reached for the thing? We'd make our own way. So at this place, we're tempted to deny our dependence. And in this place, we can be tempted to diminish God's glory. He says, give me my portion, right? Give me my portion between these. If, if I summarize the prayer, and if you're going to pray it, you might pray along these lines. Keep me from anything that would tempt me to deny my dependence or tempt me to diminish your glory. You know anybody that prays like that? I don't. Pray that way. I do know two people that are praying this way. I taught this message about, I taught this message because of our, you know, summer schedule. I taught this message at Franklin. Normally we teach here and then teach at the Franklin campus, but I taught this message at the Franklin campus five weeks ago. And I was here about, I don't know, two or three weeks ago and talking to a member here. And she had no idea that I just, she had no idea I had just said these words and thought, here's why you pray this prayer. And I was checking up, just checking in with her, a young mom four kids under 10, battling cancer. She'd not heard me teach the message. And we're just talking, and, and, and she said, uh, Lloyd, and I wrote this down when she said it, because when she did, my knees buckled. She said, you know, I'm praying, Lord, keep me from anything that would keep me from trusting you. Really? In your circumstance in life, really? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm praying. That's what she's praying. Not that she wouldn't pray that the cancer would be removed and, you know, health... But that's the greater prayer. Well, if you're going to pray that prayer between these things, here's a question I want to offer you. What's the payoff? I mean, if you pray the prayer of Jabez, you know, you're going to get blessings and enlarged borders, right? I mean, you get. What do you get if you're going to pray in this place? Well, that takes me to the second person that I've heard praying this prayer. I got an email this week from somebody that was asking for some counsel on something. And he said to me, quote, you know, he said, my desire is, and he said, quote, to grow in maturity, to know God more, and to build up the body of Christ. And then he included a reading from J. Oswald Chambers' devotion, My Utmost for His Highest. And and this guy said to me, look at this, this, this prayer is what really reflects my heart. Chambers writes, my goal is God himself. Not joy, nor peace, nor even blessing, but God himself. So if you're going to give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my portion. To pray this, I'm going to say this, it's impo- you can't pray it. You can't pray it unless, unless, you remember Psalm 119, Lamentations 3 says, the Lord is my portion. 
See, unless you know Christ is your portion and your all, you can't pray that. But when you know it, and you, I'm talking you believe it, then you can. Not only can, you will. Don't forget Jesus, when he walked this planet, you remember when he said, you know, I am the bread of life. Eat me. What did he mean? Trust me. I will fill you up. I'm all you need. I want to be careful exegetically. I am not saying that Agur wrote this and said, Jesus is your portion. I'm not saying that's what he said, but, but, but we have the whole story of the Bible and we take our New Testament, we recognize, we hear the echo. Do you not hear the echo here of my portion? Jesus is my portion. He's my all. Which takes us to the Lord's table. It's a great place to end this message. I want the ushers, if they would, to pass out the elements. I want you to take and hold the elements, the bread and the cup. And I want you to just consider as you're holding the bread and the cup what they represent. If you have placed your faith in Christ, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised again, you know Christ, I invite you to this table. If, if you don't, then then watch as we celebrate what's most important to us, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when you hold the bread in the cup, what we understand the Bible to say is that the bread represents his body, symbolic of his body. And you know, when you hold that wafer, you know, it's like well, if you were hungry, you wouldn't say, wow, this is going to fill me up. Well, no, if you're thinking that piece of bread's going to fill you up. No, but when you're mindful symbolic of the bread of life, of his body broken for us. No, Jesus satisfies. And the cup itself, it's grape juice. It's not going to slake your thirst, but it's symbolic of his blood. Men and women, there's, there's no blood like it. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's the blood of the only Son of God, who lived a perfect life, who voluntarily shed that blood in payment for our rebellion and sin. And that blood cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness and he clothes us with his own righteousness. And when we believe that and trust that, our eternity is secure. And our life right now, we live, can I say this, with wisdom. Because he's wisdom. He's all. And he's everything.